Well, good morning. Are we doing well this morning? Man, I, I just want to say hello to those watching online and in traditions and at Ording Valley. You know, there's no better time of the week than right after you spend a bunch of time worshiping Jesus. There's no better moment of the week, right, because that's when we are reminded of who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives, even in difficult moments, difficult circumstances. So thank you, wherever you worshiped this morning, for worshiping Jesus, and I hope that you're experiencing the goodness of Jesus. I do want to remind you on the heels of our, of our offering time that next week I will be receiving an offering for our staff. Um, it, during this Pastor Appreciation Month, we are inviting you to help myself and the board bless the church staff besides myself this Christmas. And so if you want to participate in that, the opportunity for that will be next Sunday. And if not, that's totally fine. But um, we have a great staff here, and I love to do a little something extra for them at Christmas time. And uh, so you can help me out with that if you have that on your heart. Wait, well, hey, speaking of staff and church and all of our venues and all those other things, um, you know, we're part of a community. And we want to be a flourishing community, and a flourishing community is made up of flourishing individuals. We've been talking about what it takes to flourish, and I hate to tell you this, if you're not aware, a lot of the things that culturally or globally we think will help us flourish actually don't, and then God's Word gives us some principles and some things that when we do them, they may seem counterintuitive at first, but they bring Flourishing. We're going to talk about one of those counterintuitive things today that I think we can all relate to. But we have been looking at Scripture in terms of three core values that we talk about here at Sound Life Church that really produce flourishing in our lives. The first one is being devoted to Jesus, that our whole heart, our whole life uh, is committed to Jesus in a way that prioritizes him above all other, all other things, priorities, relationships, people, goals, etc., so being devoted to Jesus is kind of a, a prerequisite for flourishing, but it doesn't stop there. After we have our hearts devoted to Jesus, we have to continue to flourish in, in Jesus by growing in him. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And then we partner with Jesus. There's purpose in this world. There's purpose even in the brokenness of this world. So we continue to flourish by being missional with Jesus. Now you'll notice the common denominator there is Jesus, right? Flourishing does not happen apart from Jesus. It happens with Jesus, and when we partner with him in the correct ways of being devoted, growing, and missional with him, flourishing happens in our lives. And that's the goal, that we would flourish, that the community around us would flourish, that we would flourish as a kingdom of Jesus until he returns and establishes that throughout the world. And so last week, we talked a little bit about what it means to grow in Jesus, and growing is something that, that is a great idea, but it's not always fun to practice. Growing involves change, it involves effort, it involves work, it involves all sorts of things that, that sometimes when it comes down to it, we're just not all that motivated. And we, we talked about the fact that God created you and I with potential. That you, each one of us, if there's breath in your lungs and a beat in your heart, you have incredible potential. God created you with that potential, but reaching that potential requires the hard work of growing in Jesus. And you might say, well, if Jesus is involved, and if he's king of the universe, and he's all powerful and all good, then why does growing in him take work? What's the deal with that? We have a, 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 some sort of an innate desire in life to have every good thing without any effort, don't we? Don't we want everything to be perfect every day and not have to do anything about it? I mean, I'm, I'm a millennial, and I grew up essentially in the season of America where that was my life, 
Everything was handed to me. All the hard work had been done by parents and grandparents to give me a wonderful life. And then I had this stark awakening in my mid-20s when I realized that if I was going to sustain some of those benefits in my life, I was going to have to actually work hard too. What's the deal with that? Right, and sometimes with Jesus, we come to Jesus and we're like, Jesus, I thought when I gave my life to you, that was the hard, I just had one hard moment, one hard decision. Just when I surrender to you, then you take it from there and everything's easy from here on out. And Jesus was like, no, that's when we just get started. You know, did you have a person like that in your life, a parent or a coach or a teacher, a professor, a boss, who's like, no, we're just getting started. And they have this crazy twinkle in their eye and you're like, oh, no. What's going on from here? I had several people like that in my life, including my dad. You know, he would get that twinkle in his eye about yard work or, or some project on the house. And I've told you, I, I just wasn't really, really very handy when it came to handyman skills. So that twinkle always made me nervous. And I think sometimes when we come to Jesus, even in worship moments, like I hope that, that you had wherever you're watching from, like we had in this space, we, we say these wonderful things, sing these songs, pray these prayers, and we're like, so that's it, right, Jesus? And he's like, got that twinkle in his eyes, like, nope, we're just getting started. It's when we walk out of here that the real work begins, right? It's when we walk out into our daily lives and there isn't a bunch of wonderful people around us or wonderful music to set a soundtrack for us or any of those other things that all of a sudden life, you know, really hits the fan. It gets challenging, it gets difficult, it gets messy sometimes. But the reality is this, we do need Jesus, None of it can happen without Jesus. We cannot do it without him. But when we embrace the opportunity, when we embrace the responsibility, when we embrace the responsibility to grow, not on our own in a vacuum, but to grow with other people in a real world, then we ex begin to experience the rewards of maturity. Maturity being this, this beautiful, hard-fought, hard-worked result, a work of art after hours or days or weeks or years of effort. That's what maturity is. And the hard work, the taking responsibility results in maturity. And as we talked about last week, part of that maturity is we have a solid foundation to stand on. When life gets rough and we're not sure where we can get our bearings, that Jesus, as we grow in him, we get a solid foundation that we don't have without Jesus. And not only do we get that solid foundation, but as we grow in Jesus, it really does bring the best out of us. It's one of the satisfying parts of maturity. It brings the best out of you, and your maturity brings the best out of the people around you. I love being around mature people. I just don't always like the responsibility to be mature myself. And I think most of us like that. We wouldn't mind everybody else around us being mature. It's when it comes to us that we're like, can we just lay off a little bit? I just always want to be a little kid. I don't want to have to grow up. Now, my kids don't see it that way. They think it's all about growing up, and they see all the privileges that come with maturity, but they don't see the hard work it took to get there, right? And they will over time as I have a little twinkle in my eye and say, okay, we're just getting started, right? But we, we can't do it without Jesus, but Jesus won't do it without us. He won't just snap his fingers, though he could. He won't just make us do what we should, though he could. He has given us free will, and with free will comes 
responsibility. That word that nobody likes to hear. It comes with a sense of weight, of maybe fear, anxiety. But this is what this is the the way that Paul said it to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2:12 and 13. He said, "Work hard to show the results of your salvation." Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, does God do through you what pleases him? No, he gives you the desire to do it. He gives you the power to do it. But it's still your responsibility to do it. The, the previous verse, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Did you do anything to save yourself? No. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus poured out his spirit. Jesus gave us scripture that lasts through every generation across every culture in every language has been found to be true. Jesus did the work of salvation. But then we are supposed to work hard to show results. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, and the disciples were like, is this now the time when you take over the world, Jesus? Is this it, Jesus? Jesus had this crazy twinkle in his eye. He said, we're just getting started. And he poured out his spirit to give us the desire and the power to do what we should do on our own, but sin breaks the desire. It weakens us so that we can't do it on our own. Jesus restored the capacity to do it. And he said, all right, sons, all right, daughters, let's get started. Let's show the results of this salvation. And how do we do that? With obedience, with reverence and respect for God, with, with doing what pleases God. That's what shows the results of our salvation. But that is, as he says, hard work. He says it another way in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. I don't know what that represents in your life, but we are really good at being distracted with nonsense, aren't we? It's way more fun to talk about the problem than to work hard at solving it in every, every area of life. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Wow, that's a crazy sentence. Train. It's not fun. It's training. Doesn't come naturally, you have to train to do it. It's not easy, or you wouldn't have to train to do it. Train what? Train yourself to be godly. Teach yourself to be godlike, to be like Jesus. Work hard. Think about training. Think about professional athletes. Train yourself to be godly. Verse 8 physical training is good. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Train yourself. You know, this is my gym bag. And it's for me to take things to the gym. It has sat on a shelf in my closet for close to two years. <laughs> I had a gym membership before COVID, you know, and 
my life's been COVIDized, and part of the COVIDizing of my life is I ceased going to the gym and have not re reinstated that habit in my life. But I do know this, and there's a reason that Paul talks about it throughout history. Athletes, now this, I, I may get tired and drop this on my foot, so, you know, I haven't used this weight. This weight, this set of weights and more like them have been in my garage since I've, I was in high school. They have not been used regularly since I was in high school. But I know that I was born with the capacity to grow muscle. And my dad gave me this tool when I was in high school to help me grow muscle. I've got about two more of those in me. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing. This sitting in my garage and this attached to my body doesn't do it on its own. Right? I actually have to go out to the garage. I have to pick this up. And until it hurts and I'm sweaty and other, you know, I have to go through it over and over again. And then I have to do it with all sorts of other muscles, just painful repetition, psychologically agonizing, physically agonizing. And when I embrace all of that pain, guess what? I grow a little. A little. And if I want to grow a lot, then I have to continue to add weight. I have to continue to embrace the agony, the pain of growth. In fact, I have to learn to love it. I have to pursue it. I have to day after day say, man, it doesn't hurt anymore. I better add some more weight. But I'm not very good at choosing that. I like the idea of it. I like it in my garage. Like I should, I should work out one of these days. Man, I could, I could probably look great if I worked out. Man, it's good to have those weights out there in the garage. You know, man, I should, I should go back to the gym one of these days. It'd be good for me to go back to the gym. It'd be good to be healthy, take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, it'd be good for me. But it'd take time and effort, pain, sweat. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. And there's a reason Paul uses that illustration, not just here, but in other places. He uses the illustration of athletes training to get the best results out of their bodies as a perfect illustration for your spiritual capacity and mind. That it will take training to get the best results. The reality is that God created you and me with potential, but you and me have to do something with it. We have to say, I have the potential, and God has given me the tools. I'm going to face the pain of growing, the pain of changing, the pain of becoming who I could be, not just staying who I am right now. Even though, you know, people may affirm who I am right now, I may affirm who I am right now, I wanna feel good about who I am right now, God loves me as I am right now. All those things can be true, but it doesn't change the fact that you have potential for more. But you're gonna have to grow to get there. And here's what I have found. For that process to take place, you have to take ownership of your God-given potential. 
You have to take ownership of your God-given potential. You know, I have fallen in love with this word ownership. I was in a conversation a couple years ago with our kids' pastor, Pastor Sean Backus. He's an amazing guy, wonderful guy. I love that guy. If you haven't met Pastor Sean, you know, sometimes I think he might be the closest thing to Jesus still walking on this earth. He's just a good man. And, and so I was having a conversation with him about just the process of discipling kids and discipling people. And I said, Sean, what, what, give me, what do you think, if you were going to sum it up in a word, what would you say? And he's like, you know, Sean, he gets a serious look on, our, on his face. He's one of those guys he doesn't always say a lot. But what he does say, he says it loud. <laughs> if you know Sean, he says it loud. In fact, listen, I think you can hear him preaching to the kid. No, I'm just kidding. God's given him a big booming voice and a wise mind and heart. And you know what he said to me? He said, ownership. He said, the difference is never potential. It's always ownership. It's always whether people are able to own the responsibility to grow despite the circumstances around them. Right? Because I can make COVID the excuse for the rest of my life to never pick up that bag again. Right? I can make, there's a million excuses I've used to never pick that up in my garage, right? Too busy. I'm so good looking already. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, all these things. Oh, my kids need me. I better be a better dad. I'm a pastor. I'm so busy with important things. All this, right? All sorts of excuses. And luckily, Paul says, man, spiritual training is better than physical training. There are priorities. So some of you that are feeling really good, you're like, I go to the gym twice a day, every day. Good, but are you spiritually training? Because what did Paul say? He said, physical training's good. Take care of that temple of the Holy Spirit. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and for eternity. Because I know no matter how much I do that, I don't get to take that with me into eternity. Not trying to minimize it, negate it. Physical health is a part of our worship to Jesus, but spiritual training is more important. And you have to take ownership of your God-given potential. You have to take ownership of it. You can come every week and you can say, my heart's all yours, Jesus. And he's like, yes, but use the rest of you. Let the heart manifest in the rest of your life. You can come every week and be inspired by worship, be inspired by a message, but when you walk out of here, if you don't own the truths that come off this platform, if you don't own the inspiration that we sing about, if you don't own it, it means nothing. It means nothing. It's like a weight sitting in my garage. And once a week I go out and look at it, I'm like, that's a good weight right there. I could really do a lot with that weight. Man, it's a great weight. Man, I'm really inspired by the thought of myself lifting that weight. And sometimes we do that with Jesus. We come in once a week to church and we're like, man, Jesus, you could do a lot in my life. Wow, Jesus, your Holy Spirit could really accomplish all those things in my life. Wow, Jesus, I read about some crazy things in the Bible that you did in pretty average people. You could do that in my life. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Maybe I'll put it into practice next week and we don't take ownership of the potential. But having an attitude of ownership is the key to maturity. It's the key to making the investments in life that will bring a, a satisfying return in life. An attitude of ownership is really the key to everything else in life, both spiritual and otherwise. And here's what I found about ownership. 
Ownership is never easy. It never happens in the perfect circumstances. Ownership happens in the midst of brokenness. Ask some of the small business owners in our church, does owning your own business make life so much easier? No! It makes you responsible for every problem that no one else wants to solve, right? Does, does being in charge of the family, sometimes my kids are like, Dad, it must be easy to be in charge of the family. I'm like, oh boy, I'm not even going to try with that one yet, right? Because ownership is hard. Ownership means you deal with the mess, not you pretend it's not there. Ownership means that you face the mess, not wait for it to be gone before you take responsibility. That's why it builds maturity, because it makes you own a broken situation and partner with God to make it better again, to restore it to what it could be, to bring out its potential. And, and we have to grow. We have to take ownership to flourish. One of the great concerns in, in our society right now is that everybody can recognize problems. We are a culture of people that are really good at recognizing problems. And we take pride in it. We're like, there's a problem. That person's messed up. This isn't working. There is no hope here. And then we wonder why, like, depression rates keep going up. Right? Anxiety keeps going up. It's not, it's actually really horrible, but suicide rates keep going up. Man, that's weird because we have more psychological awareness, counseling resources, medicine, support systems than any society in all of history has ever had before. Exponentially more. Why is that? Because we don't have the answers. In fact, I'm not even sure we always want the answers. We take pride in pointing out the problems. But maturity takes ownership of the problems. Maturity takes ownership of the situation. And, and we have to look at where we start. I want to turn to Acts chapter 2. And I want to look at this passage that we've been looking at, the flourishing community that we have seen. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, there's this beautiful picture of the church. I've read it before. I'm going to read it again. If you're in this church for years and years and years, you might as well memorize it now so you can say it out loud with me because I'm going to read it over and over and over again because this is the vision of what it could be. This is the vision of what it should be. This is the vision of what it would be if we take all of the ownership of all the potential that God has given us. Sometimes the pictures that scripture gives us of individuals and communities are kind of an indictment on our own lack of ownership spiritually. I hate that. I'm like, oh, Lord, not that one again. But God's like, don't forget. It's that twinkle in his eye. Let's get started. And so this picture of the church says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's the church at its best. That's the church when it's working. Now, we're imperfect. 
I'm imperfect, sound life's imperfect. I don't think God's mad if we never quite hit that ideal, but I think he might be a little frustrated if we never even tried. You know, that's, I think, the way good parents, good coaches, good teachers, they're not frustrated when people don't make straight A's, when people don't win the championship, good ones, when people aren't perfect in life, but man, it's sure frustrating if you care about someone and they don't even try. I think that's the Father's heart for us. And I want you to notice that, that it looks wonderful, doesn't it? Like, man, that must have been so cool to be a part of that. Wow, can you imagine? Ah, oh, the, the, the awe and the, the love for one another, the generosity, the signs and wonders. Man, people just getting saved left and right. What would that have been like? And I don't know exactly, but what I can tell you is it wasn't easy. As a younger Christian, I thought, man, why don't we just do that? As someone now trying to lead a community, I'm like, Wow, there was a lot of battles fought there. There was a lot of hard moments, hard decisions. There was a lot of sacrifice, a lot of struggle, a lot of friction, a lot of difficulty. There was a lot of growth. They were committed to growing in Jesus. They were committed to doing those things. Their devotion was expressed through a daily, ongoing pursuit of more. They were like, thanks, Jesus. They were like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And they pursued it in their relationships. They pursued it in their personal devotion. They pursued it in their business relationships. They pursued it outside of the church. They pursued more of Jesus in every context that they possibly could. And they grew in Jesus. It wasn't easy, but it was wonderful. And I want to look as we, as we kind of finish our time together this morning, I want to draw some principles from this passage of how do we personally experience growth in Jesus? How do you and I grow in Jesus to be this kind of person? But what I see in this passage is that growing in Jesus is experienced first through engaging in spiritual disciplines. And I'll tell you what, spiritual disciplines, that's not the fun part, at least not at first. Spiritual disciplines is the weight room. Spiritual disciplines is the training. Did you know a lot of NFL athletes, after like a tough game day, their coach will give them a rest day? Do you know what the rest day involves? Time in the weight room. That's a rest day? But they call it a rehab day. They spend time in the weight room doing different kinds of workouts that actually get their muscles ready for the other stuff. They spend time with trainers doing painful rehab and stretching, trying to get their muscles to recover. And here's the worst part. They have these giant horse troughs of ice water and they have to submerge their whole body in them. That's like a form of torture in some parts of the world, right? But they are committed to that plan. They're devoted to that plan. Why? Because it gets them ready for when they go on the field. They know that they have to do it to be ready the next time the game is ready to be played. They know they have to do it to meet the coach's expectations. Spiritual disciplines, what did the early church do? It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. They devoted themselves to training in the word, not checking a box, not getting through it, not occasionally looking something up when they're really desperate. They trained in the word of God. I need the word of God. I need the scriptures of God. I need what God says in my life. I need God to compete with all the other voices. I need God to give me truth and foundation. I need God. Wow, that one's a lot easier than this one. 
They trained, they devoted themselves to the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to community. Man, I don't like that person that much, but I'm devoted to them. Man, that person challenges me, but I'm devoted to them. Man, that person encourages me, and I'm kind of in a bad mood, and I don't even want to be encouraged today. I don't need their positive attitudes, smiling faces. You ever had that mood? I have. I don't say it out loud until I'm preaching. They devoted themselves to community where they would grow. They devoted themselves even when they didn't feel like it. They're like, you know what, I don't feel like church this morning, but I need church. If I don't feel like it, that means Monday morning I'm gonna really wish I had done it. That means I had better get to church this morning. I better get my sorry behind out of bed and get my pajamas, change into something else, or just come in your pajamas. We don't even care that much. Show up and let Jesus do what Jesus wants to do. You know what he's going to do? He's going to give you the desire and the power to do what he wants you to do in your life. But you have to devote yourself. The early church, what did they devote themselves? They devoted themselves to the Lord's table, to worship, to remember Jesus, what he did on the cross, what he did at the resurrection, and what that meant for them. And when we elevate Jesus in our minds and our lives through worship, it wins the battles that we are facing. That's what worship does. They devoted themselves. I gotta remember. I gotta focus. I gotta declare who Jesus is. I gotta celebrate who Jesus is. And when we do that, it wins the battle. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer, the ultimate personal spiritual discipline of just talking to God in every situation. They devoted themselves to those things. And they didn't see it as an option they knew that it was a discipline that they were desperate for. Here's the interesting thing about lifting weights. At first, it's really miserable and hard, but if you talk to people that work out regularly, it becomes stress relief. You talk about people that work out regularly, they start craving it. They know they need it. They actually feel sick when they don't do it because they have learned a healthy process in life. Healthy endorphins are released. Their body is sustained. Their metabolism is meant to work in that type of environment. And when we discipline ourselves spiritually, it no longer becomes, I, I dare you to really discipline yourself in the word, and you stop being like, oh, I better get my Bible reading done, or Pastor Caleb's gonna guilt trip me again this week. But if you get into scripture and you start studying it, then you begin to crave it. You're like, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you speaking to me today? You know, I did not like church community at first. It was way too vulnerable. But as I got into it and I realized the genuine love and, and the growth and the mentorship and the discipleship, I began to crave church community because I understood how much I needed it. And the same with worship and prayer and other spiritual disciplines. And this is the way Paul talked to the Corinthian church about it in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, verses 24 and 27. He said, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. So much I want to say right there. Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run, this is the Apostle Paul, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. 
I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. The Apostle Paul, disqualified from the race? Because he understood that Jesus had given him the desire and the power, but he had a responsibility of what to do with it. He understood and he said, don't you know that everybody's running a race? Don't you realize that everybody's got this same race they're living? And he's asking the question rhetorically, but he's writing to Christians and some of them are like wandering around on the track like, what's everybody in such a hurry about? You should take it easy, you're breathing hard. But Paul's like, I run with purpose. I see the prize. I will focus on the prize. I will do everything to gain the prize. I will train myself to get the prize. And that shows an attitude of ownership. An attitude of ownership responds to this truth. An attitude of ownership recognizes the reward, excuse me, I'm talking faster than my brain is working, recognizes that the rewards of spiritual growth are worth the work of spiritual disciplines. It understands that the work is worth it, that the rewards are worth it, that the return on investment is going to be worth it. They're worth the work of spiritual discipline. And so what does that look like in our lives? It looks like, man, you know what? I'm tired, but I'm gonna do it anyways. I'm busy, but I'm gonna do it anyways. I, I have all these other things screaming at me, but this is the most important because this is the only thing that promises true reward. If I don't do this, then my parenting will fail. If I don't do this, my marriage will suffer. If I don't, excuse me, I'm really excited right now, apparently. If I don't do this, my job will suffer. If I don't do this, when I come to the end of the race, I won't have anything to show for it. And I think there are so many Christians that are kind of running the race, but we haven't done the training. And do you know what happens? I think we're gonna be like some of those runners that I watched in the Olympics this summer that started the race strong, but towards the end of the race, they gassed out and everybody else passed them. They gassed out and they didn't finish the race strong. They gassed out and you wonder, did they train hard enough for that length of the race? Or did they just expect the initial burst to carry them all the way through? An attitude of ownership recognizes the rewards that they're worth the work. The second thing we see in the early church and how they were experiencing growth in Jesus is they were practicing the reality of Jesus' kingdom in daily life and business. I want you to notice that most of the awesome things that were happening in that church happened in the marketplace and happened in their home. Their business transactions resulted in spiritual decisions. Their business transactions of selling property, of, of selling different things, of wheeling and dealing in the marketplace, they thought, what, what would the kingdom choice be to do with this? What do I do that will actually bring eternal rewards? What can I do that will actually have fruit in the long run? And they thought the same thing about their home. They're like, man, this home is nice. I've been blessed with this great home. I have all this food. What do I do that would actually have a kingdom impact? They began to think eternally. They began to think like Jesus. How would Jesus' kingdom use my home, my income, my resources, my job? 
How would Jesus' kingdom use this? Not how would my culture use it, how would my society use it, how my parents used it, how whatever, whoever else used it, how would Jesus use it? And the results of that were incredible levels of community that would be uncomfortable if you didn't understand the eternal reward. Sharing your home on a, on a daily basis, sharing your table, sharing your food, sharing your resources, that's a lot of level of social vulnerability. They understood that their business transactions were an opportunity to leverage earthly resources for kingdom results. And they used those resources to bless their community. They used those resources to take care of one another. They used those resources not for their own personal benefit, but for kingdom results. Hospitality, business integrity. You know, there's a reason that they had a good reputation in the community around them because that generosity, that hospitality was not only for Christians, it was for everybody. They understood the kingdom was bigger than who was already in the church. Matthew 6, it's one of those counterintuitive principles that we talked about. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. The world's way is seek what you need and want above all else. Live however you have to to get it. And God owes you more at the end. That's what our nature tells us, but the word of God says reverse that. And an attitude of ownership recognizes that everything is an opportunity for ministry to God. Notice to God. Because we see that now, and we see the generosity, we see the hospitality, we see those things, and we're like, wow, all those people were so blessed to be a part of that. But I know for a fact that when you're generous and hospitable, not everybody that you're generous and hospitable with appreciates the impact of that. You can do all the right things. And other people still have the choice in their lives of whether they participate in those right things or not. But here's the interesting thing. It doesn't change what the right thing to do is. It doesn't change what the right business decision is. It doesn't change what in integrity looks like. It doesn't change what generosity and hospitality look like. And do you know who it's always a ministry to? God. When you do the right thing, when you live righteously, when you say the right thing, when you use self-control, when you are kind and other people aren't, when you handle your marriage and your parenting in godly ways, do you know what? Your kids may never appreciate it, your spouse may never appreciate it, your coworkers, your neighbors, your parents, they may never appreciate it, but do you know who does? God. And do you know who determines the winners at the end of the race? God. God. God's impressed by it. And do you know at the end of the day, I want God to be impressed with my life, not anybody else. Do you know the story of the woman who, who broke the jar of perfume over Jesus and washed his feet with her tears? You know, everybody was like, that is so embarrassing. Get her out of here. What, does this lady have some weird intentions for Jesus? They were all thinking it. And Jesus says, all of you shut up. Because this woman washed my feet with her tears when none of the rest of you cared. This woman has prepared me for the sacrifice I'm going to make with perfume when none of you even welcomed me. This woman, it says, has done a beautiful thing. 
Sometimes I think in my life, I'm like, God, what in my life would be beautiful to you? You know, often the beautiful things nobody else sees or cares about, but God does. And an attitude of ownership recognizes that every context you are in, you might think that you are in the worst job that has ever been created as a career path. It can be beautiful to Jesus if you'll use it as ministry to him, if you'll do it unto him. You might not understand why God has blessed you with this resource or that resource. You may struggle with different personality issues or you may struggle with different things, but whatever God has given you, I'll tell you what, it can be leveraged as ministry to him and an attitude of ownership does that. Every season of life has different opportunities. Every role in society has different opportunities. Every personality type has different opportunities. But we have to take an attitude of ownership with those. The last thing I see in this community, that, that they were growing in Jesus, and it was experienced through sharing the journey with other people that didn't know about it yet. Sharing the journey of growing in Jesus is part of our witness. People don't need to hear that you're perfect. First of all, they don't believe it. Second of all, it's an unreachable, unattainable goal for them. And third of all, God knows better too. You're not perfect. Nobody needs you to be perfect. God's not waiting on you to be perfect to use you. God didn't call you because you're perfect. God called you because he wants to walk you through a growth process and he wants you to share it with other people along the way. Do you know that all of those people that were being added to their number daily, there was this uncanny, like that's normal. Continues to shock me when I look at this, this passage at the end. It's like, oh yeah. And God added to their number every day people who were being saved. Do you know that there are, there are churches that are, are just struggling with how do we get more people saved? There are books written. There are classes delivered by professors that are super smart. There's all sorts of resources poured into just getting one more person saved. And you know what? It's all worth it. Because every soul is worth it. But in this church, it's like it just happened. What? Nobody gave them a Bible education. They didn't even have a strategy yet. Do you know what their strategy was? They were growing in Jesus, and they were sharing the journey with the people around them. Sharing the journey with their coworkers. When life change was happening in them and people were noticing it, they're like, why do you work differently? Why are you working harder? Why are you, why are you being respectful to the boss? Why are you doing these things? And, and they're like, Jesus is changing my heart. Jesus convicted me and he showed me a better way. Jesus changed my life. And you could think Jesus is a dead guy, but he's not. He rose from the dead. You could think whatever you want about Jesus, but Jesus changed my heart. You should come to church. You should check it out. You should come worship with us. You should come over to my house. You should come be a part of this. Jesus is changing my life, and you won't believe what happened. He's changing my friend's life, too. In fact, the guy just sold a bunch of property and gave all the money to people he didn't even know that well. You think that kind of stuff doesn't catch people's attention? It does, especially in a world and a culture where everybody's looking to blame. Everybody's looking to tear down. Everybody's looking for the next flaw, the next problem to point out. And you're saying, man, I had problems and Jesus is fixing them. That's a whole different message. But you have to share the journey. That's why Colossians 4 or 5 says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. You know what's interesting? Here's the crazy thing. We train for the game while we're in the game. 
We train for the game, but we're living the game every day. We are living the ultimate competition every day. Do you know there is a competition in this world every moment, every day, over every decision, every inch of space, everything that you think about? There is a war going on. And the cost is life and death. And the war is over who will get the glory, who will get the credit, who will be God over this moment, that moment, this decision, this interaction, this situation. Who will be declared God over that moment? And we know who the winner is. But the game is still being played. The competition, the war is still being played. And Jesus has a reason for that. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But Jesus has a reason. But the war is still being fought every day. And we train in the midst of the war. We play the game every day, living out the Jesus' kingdom reality in the midst of our daily life, our homes, our businesses. But we also have to share the journey everywhere we go and live wisely. Remember what it is. Remember who are, that our neighbors matter to God. Remember that our coworkers matter to God. Remember that you are probably the closest thing to Jesus that they're ever going to see. And I know how it is. There's some days where I'm like, Jesus, you shouldn't have picked me. Jesus, I'm not a great representation of you. And Jesus gets this twinkle in his eye and he's like, well, let's get started. Let's get started, Caleb. I gave you what you needed. I gave you what you needed. Let's do this. Let's do this. And we have to do what Paul says and live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. Oh, my back. No, just kidding. I did think about that, though. I haven't picked that weight up in a while. I should probably be careful. An attitude of ownership recognizes that every relationship is an eternal possibility. Every relationship has eternal possibility. We have to recognize that every relationship, your child has eternal possibilities. The decisions you make for your child matter. The example you live in front of your child matters. Do you know your spouse, believe it or not, eternal possibilities. And they might be dead set against it, but you have a responsibility before God to play the game the best you can play the game, to be an example of Jesus, to be gracious like Jesus, to be the fragrance of Christ, not the scent of death. You have a responsibility. We have to live wisely in the world around us, and, and that means that we have to take ownership. We have to take ownership of situations that nobody else does. We have to take ownership of things that nobody else does. We have to take responsibility, and that is what makes mature people stand out in a crowd. It's what makes mature people stand out in a family. It's what makes mature people stand out in a business. It's what makes mature people stand out in a society where it's not demanded of us, but it is offered to us. We have been given so much by our king. And we're given it in the midst of a battle. So it's not easy. It is messy. But God knows that we can do it. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And there's days I wake up and I'm like, Jesus, I don't feel it. I feel the need, but I don't feel the provision. And Jesus, with that twinkle in his eye, says, get up, son. It's time to get started. It's time to get training. It's time to get in the game. 
It's time to break through. It's time to set a new, set a new max. It's time. It's time. Can I tell you, church, it is time. Probably past time. It's more like we get caught in these moments and it's like halftime in the big game and we have to make some halftime adjustments. We have to come out of the tunnel and we have to be ready to go twice as hard. Do you know we are in a world that is dead set against Jesus right now? We're in a culture that's desperate for God and they don't even know it. We are in a society that's looking for answers in all the wrong places and we have to get in the game. We have to start praying. We have to start memorizing scripture. We have to start declaring truth over our society. We have to look at the news and say, Jesus, do something about that. We have to spend time training in the spiritual things. We have to invest in people more than we think we do. We have to be less obsessed with ourselves than we've ever been before. We have to get rid of our obsession with getting this stuff and having that thing and being this kind of person. And we have to be more like Jesus because that is what our world needs right now. It's not about you. You have an eternity. You have an eternity where your father's like, son, daughter, I have so much good for you. I have so much good for you. All the pain's gonna be gone. All the brokenness is gonna be gone. All the suffering's gonna be gone. But push through right now. Don't quit on me. Don't give up on me. Come on, be a Christian. Because the world needs you. Because the world needs you. Because there's a world that's desperate to see it. And do you know what I read in this Bible? I read in this Bible over and over again. The people that nobody would have picked. The people that nobody would have picked. People that are too old, they're too ugly, they're too this, they're too that. They're women in a man's world. They're Israelites in a Roman world. They're messiahs in a world that doesn't want a messiah. They're children, they're too young. But you know what they do? They take ownership. They begin to believe that God is actually big enough to do what they cannot do on their own. They begin to believe that there's hope because there's a good God. They quit running from their problems and they face them. They own it and they wake up and they're like, I'm going to do what God wants me to do today. And nobody's gonna change my mind. Where is that conviction in our society today? Where is that level of ownership and responsibility in our society today? I can tell you what, I don't see anywhere it's gonna come from if it doesn't come from the church. God has given us what we need. He's given us what we need. Will we take hold of it? Will we take ownership of it? Will we begin to embrace the pain and the struggle and the sweat and the difficulty of living out our faith, of exercising and working out our faith in a world that would love it if you didn't do it. People love people that aren't in shape. We resent people that are in really good shape. As a society, we're like, oh my gosh, such a show off. How many hours did you spend in the gym? And what if they turned around and said, how did you spend those hours? Netflix? YouTube? Now I use that as just a simple illustration. We mock people that make hard investments, but we don't make better ones. You know, or, or the old like, make fun of the nerd in school, like, oh, you did all your homework? You got straight A's on that test? How stupid is that? 
But it's like the age-old cycle, right? Because insecurity makes us mock good decisions. But you know what wise people do? Mature people do? They do it anyways. They're like, man, that person made fun of me, but I don't want to be where they're going. I want to be where God's going. And church, you and I have to take ownership of the opportunity to grow. We have to take ownership of the opportunity to grow. I'll tell you what. I, th- this is not bragging. This is confession. I went to school for seven years to study the Bible. Seven years. That's like a lot of study in the Bible. And I still have not grown enough in the word of God. There's still more. You know, I've been discipled by wonderful people. I've tried to take on those spiritual disciplines. I've tried to be a man of God in the different settings that I've been in. It's still not enough. It's still not enough. Why? Because there's potential for more. There's potential for more. And as long as there's breath in these lungs and a beat in this heart, I know, just like the Apostle Paul knew, that I'm here not for my own sake, but I'm here for your sake. I'm here for this community's sake. And by the way, so are you. So are you. But we have to grow. We have to grow. And so I just want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you to consider, where do you need to grow? This isn't hard stuff, what I've talked about today. It's not hard to understand, it's hard to do. What daily spiritual disciplines, daily spiritual disciplines do you need to up your game in? There's some of you I know, you have the same Bible reading habit And it's awesome. I love that you have that Bible reading habit, but you haven't upped the game in 20 years. Come on, saints, we need you. You're the starters in the game. We need you to pray. We need you to be mature. We need you to be godly. We need you to be generous. And there's some of you who are like, I've been in church two weeks, and I'm really scared right now. You're yelling a lot. (laughs) And you know what? Sometimes my kids say the same thing. My daughter Stella, she's like, Dad, you need to chill out a little bit. I'm like, I'm trying. The Lord's working on me. Some of you, you've been in, the, you've been in church a little while, and you're like, eh, get in the game. Get in the game. Don't stay on the sidelines. Nobody wins a game sitting on the sidelines. Nobody wins a game sitting in the stands. We win the game when we get in the game. We win the game when we train for the game. And so what daily disciplines do you need to get serious about? Is it reading the word? Is it being in church community, not just like showing up and attending, but actually being in community? Is it engaging in worship, not just witnessing worship? Is it serving in a ministry, getting in the game? Where do you need to get in the game? Here's the next question. What daily habits and situations are you in that you need to see as ministry to God? Is it your job? Is it your workplace? Is it your career path? Do you need to begin to do your job as worship to Jesus? Do you need to begin to be an actual witness for Jesus? Do you need to offer to pray for someone instead of just playing it it stealth mode? Do you need to share about something that God's doing in your life? I I would bet that you do in one way, shape, or form. What daily relationships do you need to make an eternal investment in? What daily relationships do you need to make an eternal investment in? Can I tell you what, church? Here's the thing. I love you, and there's no church I'd rather be a part of. There's no group of people I'd rather hang out with. I would be very happy if we had church just like this every Sunday for the rest of my life. There's potential for more. 
And I'm not sure that God would be happy. He loves what's happening this Sunday. But he's like, let's get started. There's more. There's more for you. There's more for you. Can I tell you, young people in the room, don't wait on us old people. Young people in the room, be the men and women of God that Scripture talks about. Don't wait for us. Too many generations have waited on their forefathers and they waited too long. Be men and women of God in your generation because God has given you everything that you need. God's given you everything that you need. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we come to you this morning as people that you have blessed with great potential. We come to you this morning as people that, that by your spirit are recognizing the goodness that you have invested in us. We come to you as people that have unlimited capacity because our lives are in your hands, because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, because our minds were built to understand the wonders of God, because our bodies were built not to die, but to live forever. Lord, you made us people of incredible potential, but help us to take ownership. And Father, I pray that right now you would speak to us about spiritual disciplines that we need to grow in. You'd speak to us about making space in our lives for the things that, that need to happen. I pray that you'd speak to us right now in this moment about relationships you've given us in our lives that we need to invest eternally in. I pray, Father, that you would help us to embrace the painful but powerful opportunity to grow. In Jesus' name. Amen.